It's a real joy for me to be here with you today. Uh, for me, in, in some way, it's like a homecoming. A lot of you folks I remember, and you remember me when I was half a set of twins. I used to tell folks I was eight years old before I realized I was more than a half a set of twins, because folks would say the twins this and the twins that. But uh, Brother Fred, I want to thank you for the honor and the privilege of being in your pulpit. And I want you to know I've got a lot of sweet memories. Uh, it is almost impossible for me to realize that this is Davidson High School. I graduated from here a few years back. I met my wife here and uh, had a lot, of, a lot of good memories. So it's good to be here. I'm excited that you're getting into the new facility. And I want to give you a word of exhortation. That building is not going to fill itself. And the most effective thing that you can do as a member of the body here is when you meet somebody, whether it's a neighbor or a friend or somebody at the store, ask them. I mean, you say, this, this, this is too simple. No, it's not. It really works. I ask them, do you go to church anywhere? They say, well, no, not really. Or I go to that church down there, but we hadn't been in a long time. Why don't you come to church with me? Fern, by the way, my, my wife, Fern, uh, asked me to tell you she's sorry she couldn't be here. Uh, she loves Brother Fred. Brother Fred did our wedding years ago. And uh, Brother Ed was a, both of them were incredible mentors for me. And so, you know, for us, it's just a real honor to be back. But I was going to say a word about Fern was going through Kroger. Now, Kroger is just one of the stores up in Nashville where we lived. And there was a guy there named Bert. Bert was the cashier. And we'd go, she'd go through, she'd say, Bert, how are you doing? And uh, I'm doing fine, or I'm not having a good day, or whatever. And so she got to know Bert. And one day she was going through the, the line, checkout line, and, Bert, how are you doing? I'm not doing very good. I, well, why? Well, I, he has some things going on. She said, let me ask you something, Bert. Do you go to church anywhere? No, I don't go to church anywhere. She said, I want, you, I want to invite you to be my guest at church. Next Sunday morning, Bert shows up to church with us. He did not realize that Fern was the pastor's wife. He learned that real fast. And Bert got saved. Now, folks, everybody starts somewhere. And everybody that gets saved gets saved because somebody invited them to come to church. or Somebody took them to church and somebody asked them, would you invite Christ to come into your life? Somebody reached out. And I just want to ask you and encourage you, because I know this is the heritage of this body of believers. You may not be in the same location you've been in the past, but I know your shepherd, and I know the staff, and I know they have a heart for God. They have a heart for reaching people. They have a heart for making an impact in this world. Well, I'm very grateful to be here. Over the last couple of years, I've been doing a study through the New Testament. And I've been going through very carefully, very slowly, asking and answering the question, why did Jesus come? Now, there's a, a, there's a simplicity to that, but there's also a complexity to that. The simplicity is, well, Jesus came to die on the cross to save us from our sins. But if you begin to dig into the Scripture, into the Word of God, you discover that there are multiple answers. As a matter of fact, there are over 600 answers to the question, why 
did Jesus come? And what I'd like to do today is just take a small sliver of the answers. And you'll find this in the book of 1 John. And I'd like to ask you to read with me from 1 John chapter 1 through verse 1 on to verse 4. Now, I don't know the, the, the culture of the church here. But won't you all stand with me while we read the Word of God and honor the Word of God? And I'll give you an apology on the front end. I'm reading out of a New American Standard. And so if this translation is not quite like your translation, uh, I appreciate your patience with me. The Word of God says this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the Word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Pray with me, please. Father, we just this moment, we, we've been in your presence. The Word of God says we're two or more gathered in your name. You're here. Father, we enter into your presence with thanksgiving and with praise. And so, Father, we're glad to be here. It's a joy to be here. And, Father, we just want to pray that you'll help us to put down everything that will be a worry or a concern or, or, or something that we're, we have preoccupying our minds and our thoughts. And, Father, help us to realize that no matter how big the, the difficulties we're going through, you're a lot bigger. And there's nothing we face, nothing we deal with, nothing we're confronted with that you cannot handle. Father, speak to us today. Lord, bless your people. Open the Word of God to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed in the Word of God how God found people when they were first saved often dictates the ministry they have? For example, Peter was a fisherman. And when we first discover fish, Peter, what was he doing? He was fishing. Paul was a tent maker. And he was the use of God greatly to, to build the superstructure of the church. And when we first meet John, even though his family was in the fishing business, he wasn't fishing. Do you remember what he was doing? He was mending nets. He was the guy that came along behind the others, and when something was going wrong, he fixed it. And when he wrote the Gospel of John, supernaturally inspired by the Holy Spirit. But when he wrote the Gospel of John, it was to contradict and to straighten out some things that were going wrong in the early church. There were people who weren't quite sure if Jesus was God or not. And then there were other issues that, that came up. And, and so he wrote his little epistles, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And then, of course, he did the final, the culminating book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, which with great symbolism, gave us the unfolding of world history. 
Now, we're looking here at the first epistle of John, 1 John, not the gospel, the first epistle. And there are two issues that have been plaguing the early church at this time. On the one hand, you have what we call the Judaizers or the Ebionites. And these are the people who said, listen, you can be saved, you can come to Jesus as long as you keep all of the law and do everything that the Jews require to do. You become a Jew and then you can, become, you can come to Jesus. Well, Paul knew that didn't work. He tried it. And so that was one group that was problematic. And Paul deals with that very thoroughly in, in Galatians and Romans and other places. And then there was the Gnostic crowd. Now, the Gnostics were the, the intellectuals. You know how smart they are because if you, don't, if you talk to them, they'll tell you. I know some people like that. But the Gnostics had a theory. And part of their theory was that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He just kind of appeared to be human, but he wasn't really human. They were extremely confused about how God himself could come in the flesh. And so I want you to notice how John begins the first epistle of John. For those who think that maybe Jesus really did not come in the flesh, he talks about human perception, how we know things. We have sensory perceptions. Now look at it. Verse 1. He's laying out what was from the beginning, what we have heard, that's what we hear with our ears, what we have seen with our eyes, what we've looked at and touched with our hands, three of the five senses. He says, we saw Jesus. We touched Jesus. We heard Jesus. We saw Jesus. And he's very clear to let us know who Jesus is. Now... What I'd like to do today is ask and answer the question from John, in 1 John, why did Jesus come? As a matter of fact, here in 1 John, he gives us nine answers, and I'll try to be very brief with all of them, but I know that uh, the one thing about this church and Brother Fred is there's not a clock in here for a reason, but I promise I'll let you out on time. So why did Jesus come? There are nine answers. Now, for you, you may have a different question. What difference does it make? Well, it makes difference in two directions. First of all, the truth of the matter is a lot of you that I, I know or I remember or you remember me. But there are a lot of you here that I don't know. And the truth is, I'm not sure who's saved and who's not saved. But there are some of you who have never given your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, when you come to the end of life's destiny and journey... And you get ready to step from this side to the other side. The only thing that's really going to be of importance is this. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And some of you have never taken that step of faith. And listen, you can grow up, you can be in church, you can be around Christian people, but you have to choose to give your life to Christ. And for some of you, that's an important thing that you've not yet done. Now, there's a second group here, and that's the rest of us who want to grow. And you and I will grow as we learn and understand who Jesus is and why he came. So the question is this, why did Jesus come? There are nine answers in 1 John, so look with me. And I'm just going to walk through the, this, uh, 
the text, notice with me, number one, Jesus came to provide a remedy for sin. Verse 7, the Word of God says, But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus came to provide a remedy for sin. Now, sin is passive indifference towards God. I don't care about God. Or it's an active rebellion against God. In chapter 3, verse 4, the scripture says it's breaking God's law. It's, it's a disregard for God's standards. God, I don't care what you have to say. And Jesus came to be the remedy for the sin that's in all of us. He came, came to cleanse us, the word of God says, from our sin. Look in verse 7 again, last part. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we have to, there are two things that have to be done with sin. First of all, something has to happen in me and something has to happen in God. See, it's what happens, happens in me. I have to be cleansed from my sin, but in God, with God, He has to forgive our sins. He's got a record of our sins. And He has to forgive, but I have to get clean on the inside. It takes both of those. As a matter of fact, look, look down in verse 9 for just a moment. If we confess our sins, that means we agree with God, as, as Jack Taylor used to say, admit it and quit it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or faithful and just to forgive. That's what he does in his heart. And to cleanse us, that's what he does in our heart from all unrighteousness. So the first thing I want to draw your attention to very simply is this. Jesus came to provide a remedy for our sin. Now, I'm sure in a group this age, this size, some of us have different types of sickness. I mean, it just comes with the territory. Uh, sometimes it comes with age. Uh, I have inherited something from my dad. Surprise, surprise. Called genetics. And my dad, at times, suffered from gout. It's a buildup of uric acid. You can hardly walk uh, because it builds up on your ankles or whatever. And that never happened to me. About two months ago, I woke up one morning, I stepped, and you need to understand, I run 25 to 30 miles a week, okay? It's not like I'm sedentary. But I stood up, and I could put no pressure on my foot whatsoever. I mean, it was embarrassing. I told Fern, I said, Fern, something's wrong. That's my wife, Fern, something's wrong. She said, okay. She says, I think you need to go see, this is a funny thing, our doctor is Dr. Sutton. So I had to call to make an appointment. Dr. Sutton needs to see Dr. Sutton. And I, I so get an appointment, and I told Fern, I said, Fern, my ankle is so tender, I, can, I can't even walk on it. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, I'd run eight miles a day before. And so here I am. I'm, she takes me to the doctor. She pulls up to the front of the, of the clinic. They go in, and they get a wheelchair. I am embarrassed. They wheel me up to the third floor where the doctor's office is. And he takes one look at me and laughs. What is wrong with you? I said, I'm not sure, but you're going to find out. Turns out he found out that family history. He said, I think it's, it's, you may have twisted a little bit, but I said, I think you got some gout. Okay. I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, well, you know something? But one, one good thing about, about this is you can treat it with methylprednisone or prednisone, and it'll be 
as good as new in a day or so. So it sounds good to me. So he gives me a little prescription for methylprednisone. I take it. The next morning, you know what? I got up. I said, "Front of my ankle's fine. I ran out, went out and ran five miles. Now, you say, now what's that got to do with Jesus being the remedy for sin? He, listen, the prescription, you got to take it for it to work. And you have to receive Jesus to have your sins forgiven and cleansed. And so the first thing that John tells us out, out of, right off the bat is Jesus came to provide a remedy for sin and we have to receive it if we're going to get it. The remedy is Jesus and we have to receive him. Now, that's not where he starts, stops, that's where he starts. Secondly, he, to, he points out, and it's a little further down in the text, Jesus came to be our advocate. Look in chapter 2, verse 1. John is writing to these believers. He says, my little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus came to be our advocate. You say, what does that mean? Well, it was a, a, a technical term for our defense attorney. Now, I've got a daughter that's an attorney. And when you need an attorney, those, those are they're handy to have. You know, somebody was talking about attorneys and said... Um, what do you call 200 attorneys that drown with a ship that turns over? Somebody else said, a good start. I want to tell you if, you, if if you need an attorney, they're invaluable. And I want to tell you something. You and I are going to stand before, before the bar of judgment by Almighty God. And I want to tell you something. You need an attorney to be your advocate. Now, there's an interesting thing here. The word advocate is the word paraclete. If you go back over to, and we're not going to turn to this, but you go back to John 14, verse 16, Jesus is talking about another helper or another paraclete, one who comes alongside, the one that, that comes to be our, our rescuer, our comforter, the one who takes care of us. That's the word being used here to describe Jesus. He is our advocate. You see, when we have an advocate, we get what he's got. You know, for years, I was Jimmy Draper's pastor. Jimmy was pastor at First Baptist Euless, and Then he became the president of Lifeway, Baptist Sunday School Board, then Lifeway. And I was his pastor for 14 years. And at least once, maybe twice a month, I'd go have lunch with him. Now, if, if to get inside the Lifeway building or the Sunday School Board building, that place is guarded closer than Fort Knox. You don't get in there just by walking in off the street. You've got to have a little badge, and you've got to sign in. They've got to know where you are. And, uh, and, but what would happen is I would, I would, Jimmy call me up, think, let's go to lunch. Okay, go to lunch. I'll meet you at your office. And he'd have a name tag waiting for me at the desk. And, and then I'd go to his office, and he could go anywhere he wants to. You know, I didn't have all that clearance to get you in there, but you know what he would say? We'd be going somewhere. He'd just say, he's with me. <laughs> oh, he's with me. And that's the way it is with Jesus. When we receive him, we get what he's got. He is our advocate. He's the one that comes alongside of us. He's the one who says, hey, I can get you into heaven. I can take you through the difficult times. It doesn't matter where you've been because I can take you through it. I can sustain you. I can deliver you. Well, Jesus came to be our advocate. When sin looks at us and says, you are cursed, we look in the mirror and feel guilty. 
We run to the advocate. He says, hey, I'll take your sins. That's what I did on the cross. I'll take your place. I'll be alongside of you, and I'll comfort you, and I'll guide you, and I'll guard you. And I'll be the one that, that takes care of you. He came to be our advocate thirdly. The Word of God says Jesus came to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a strong biblical word, the word of propitiation. Most people say, what, ask, what does that mean? They say, I'm clueless. Some of you have a translation that says that not propitiation, but the atoning sacrifice. Let me tell you about the word. The, the word for, for atoning sacrifice or propitiation is the Greek word hilasmos. And, and it's the word that was used to describe the mercy seat in the Old Testament. And every year the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. And the word of God says the, the father looked at the blood and passed over the sin. It's the word that was used the night of the Passover. When the word of God says that all the plagues had come over Egypt and there was one left. And the, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, you tell the people, take a lamb, spotless lamb. And on that night, I'm telling you, I want you to sacrifice the lamb and put the blood on the doorpost and over the lintel. And when the death angel passes over, he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over your home. And so all over Egypt, death came to every home that was not covered under the blood. And the word of God says that for us, that Jesus is our propitiation. And God looks into God and His judgment comes towards us. And we're covered under the blood of Jesus. That's what happened at the cross, by the way. And we're covered under the blood of Jesus. And the Lord says, I'm passing over because of the blood. That sin's already been paid for. That sin's already been dealt with. And Jesus is our propitiation. And that's what happened at the cross. Now, the next three answers to why Jesus came. All use the word manifest. The word manifest means to appear. It was actually used in verse 1 where it says the, the Son of God was, the life was manifested, and we've seen and testify and proclaim to you and the eternal life. That was, was with the Father was manifested. That means something that was hidden has now been made visible. And three things we're told have been manifested now. It's used seven times in 1 John, but Number four, the fourth answer to why Jesus came is Jesus was manifested to take away sin. Look in verse 5, chapter 3. The word says, And you know that he appeared or he was manifested in order to take away sins. I'll tell you something. When Jesus started his public ministry, John the Baptist was preaching on the River Jordan. And you remember one day Jesus came walking in his direction and John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus was manifested to take away sins. And it doesn't matter what you've done or failed to do. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned or what kind of sin you've committed. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came to take away your sins. And my friend, when you receive him by faith, he says, I become the sin bearer for them. 
When you receive Jesus Christ, He takes your sin upon Himself. Now, your sin's going to be punished. But we would much prefer to have it punished in Jesus. That's what happened on the cross. And He became our substitute on the cross. And the Word of God says from Isaiah 53, The Father laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was manifested to take away sins. That's the fourth answer. The fifth answer is this. Jesus was also manifested to destroy the works of the devil. Look in chapter 3, verse 8. The Word says, The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty convinced the devil's been real busy these days. I look at all the deceit. I look at all the depravity. And I look at all the problems in our world. You know, how, you know what I sum it up with? It's this. The devil has been real busy. Now let me say this. There's some people who don't believe in the devil. And if that's you, he's got you right where he wants you. There is a force of evil and a, and a power of evil in this world that has been unleashed. And the truth of the matter is, in the United States, it's been unleashed on us. You know, a nation says we don't need God. God says, really? Let me show you how deeply you need me. So all he has to do is take his hand of protection off of us. What do you think happened on 9-11? He just took his hand of protection off. You say, well, what's, what's going to put that hand of protection back on? The prayers of God's people. The prayers of God's people. But I want to tell you, Jesus came for a reason. You begin to look at the complexity of it. And part of that reason is this. He came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, you, you may think, well, I've got, you know, I've got some, some, some secret sins. I've got some things hidden that nobody knows about. Well, God knows about it. The devil knows about it, okay? You maybe think, you know, the devil is just killing me. I am self-destructing. There's hope for you. There's hope for you. Because there's an advocate in Jesus Christ. And he, he came for a reason. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And he'll destroy the works of the devil in you. You'd be surprised what God could do if you gave him a chance. What else? Number six. The Word of God says Jesus came so that we might live through him. Look in verse 9 of chapter 4. The Word says, And by this the love of God was manifested, there's that word again, in, in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In John 10, 10, the Word of God says, For the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In John 1, 12, the Word of God says, But as many as received Him, He gave them the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe upon His name. Jesus Christ came so that we might live through Him. Now, if I were to ask you, what's so special about April 1? Most of us would say, ha, 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 April Fool's Day, right? Well, I have a whole whole new take on that. You see, my first grandson was born last April 1. 
And so if anybody asks me, I say, no, no, my, my, my grandson was born on the first day of baseball season. That's opening day. And that, that little guy, listen, that little guy has me wrapped around his little finger. Not a thing I wouldn't do for him. And it is a thrill and a joy. Of course, you know, all of us could tell grand, grandparents, a lot of us could tell grandparents stories. But I'm having a ball. That's all I can say. I'm having a ball. It's fun to play with him. And I can't wait to take him lots of places. But he did not exist prior to his conception. And he is a new life that never existed before. Let me say something. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a new life that's never existed before. The Word of God says He makes you brand new. He doesn't just take the old and turn it over. He says, I'm going to make you something you've never been before. It's a new life. It's a new life. And God gives that to us through Jesus Christ. Okay, what else? Number seven. Look in chapter 4, verse 14 with me. The Word of God says this. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Number seven, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. That word sent means he was sent with the message and, and, and with the mission. The Savior comes to rescue. And the world is talking about all the people in the world. Listen, listen there's, there's a, a theology that's floating around today that says that Jesus Christ came to save all those that were elected and chosen by God before the foundation of the earth. And so if God didn't put, if you're not on God's list of pre-selected, you had no hope. I don't believe that. I think what he did, he said, okay, everybody, that's, everybody that receives Christ is saved, and everybody that receives Christ is part of the elect. That's your choice. Will you receive Christ or not? And when the Word says he came to be the Savior of the world, he's not saying he came to be the Savior for a part of the world. Or some in the world. He came to be the only Savior, the only option, the only provision for man's sin. His name is Jesus. He came to die for anyone and everyone. He came to die for you. He came to die for me. He came to die for everybody we know. But we have to be willing to turn from our sin and receive him. And if we'll do that, he'll save us. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Number eight. Jesus came to be what I call the reservoir of life. Look in chapter 5, verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Where is the life? It's in His Son. Where is that life? It is in His Son. We don't have life in and of ourselves. It's not like God's going to give us, okay, here's a ton of life for you, or a pound of life for you, or an ounce of life for you. No, no. Jesus has the life in Him. And when we receive Jesus Christ, we have life. Because he is the reservoir of life. You know, most cities have water supplies, and those water supplies are usually are in lakes. When I lived in Nashville, we had Percy Priest Lake and Old Hill Lake. and Lakes were the, were the reservoir for all the drinking water. And so I didn't have to worry when I turned my tap on. Of course, they, they had put it through a process to clean. I understand that. But I didn't have to worry if we were going to have any water. Because we had lakes, large lakes, filling our, our water supply. Jesus is the reservoir of life. 
And if you'll receive him, the word of God says his life will become your life. The word of God says in chapter 5, verse 12 here, that he who has the son has life because life resides in Jesus. Last thing I want to say to you. Jesus came to give us understanding. Looking down in verse 20, chapter 5. The Word of God says, And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, that we are in Him who is true, and in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He came, the, the word understanding means to know or to discern. It means to reason correctly. Specific, it means this. He came so we could understand who God is, understand what God thinks of us, understand what God wants for us, and understand what God wants us to do. When the disciples, in that night before the cross, were talking to Jesus, and he was talking to them, they said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus looked at him, and I can only imagine that he laughed. And he said, if I've been with you so long and you still don't get it, that's my paraphrase. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Folks, if you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. He is God who has come in the flesh to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He went to the cross. He died. He was buried. He was really dead. And on the third day, he rose again. You see, there in that death, burial, and resurrection, he took care of our two worst enemies. One of them we talked about a lot today, the enemy of sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, the Word of God said, The Father laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And he beat, he defeated that enemy of sin but folks I'm telling you also when he came out of the grave on that first Easter morning he defeated the enemy of death and the word of God says we have two enemies the enemy of sin the enemy of death and with Jesus death burial and resurrection he conquered both and my friend when you receive him he gives you victory over sin. And he gives you victory over death. So here's the question I'm asking you. We're sitting here. Church is just about over. I want to ask you this question. Has there been a time in your life, honestly, when you have received Jesus Christ by faith? You've said, Lord, I will turn away from my sin and Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Have you done that? Have you done that? So, well, Dr. Sutton, I've never done that. Then I want to know, is there any reason you can't do it right now?